0: Welcome to Embrace Your Brain with Dr. D. Joy Coulter. These short weekly brain bits give you fresh glimpses into how your mind works and how to develop its natural brilliance. Welcome to the podcast. I know a lot of you have enjoyed the last three podcasts from my son, who is exploring the nature of blessings. If you want to hear them and miss them, you can always find them at embraceyourbrain.com in the podcast section. I think I want to spend the next few podcasts honoring the fact that sequestering is one thing, but I know a lot of you are sequestered with children, and depending on the age of those children, it can be quite challenging because they don't operate quite the way we do. So I want to start by looking at what it's like to live with and in fact to survive and thrive with two-year-olds. Later, we'll look at three and four and some of the other interesting ages that kids go through. Unfortunately, they don't just grow little by little. They undergo radical transformations. And as with any transformation, before the transformation happens, there's a meltdown of the old way before the new way can get set up. So sometimes we're looking at a meltdown and we think, oh no, my child is falling apart. What am I doing wrong? And actually, We just have to learn how to live with that. Well, two years old is quite a mysterious time. It's obvious that they're not wired like us yet. One of the things that's most prominent about them is that they lead with their eyes. And we'll talk about their ears in a minute because they don't seem to be using them the way we do. With their eyes, they're looking around to see what's going on, and we want to guide them Not to get hooked on things, overstimulated and having to have more of something and succumbing to all of the advertising that's gotten awfully clever aimed at them, but rather we'd like to see if we can get them absorbed. You know, you walk along the sidewalk and there's a roly-poly buck. Well, if your child is able to get absorbed, that could take a good five minutes of exploring. That's if you're willing to slow down and let that happen. If we look at the nursery rhymes that children listen to, at least that we used to when we were growing up, they all looked at grown-ups who seemed to get mad. And that's a very shocking thing for the little ones, for the two-year-olds and two- to three-year-olds. And some of the nursery rhymes caught that. There was, there was one called, there was an old woman who lived in a shoe. She had so many children, she didn't know what to do. She gave them some broth without any bread. Then, and the word here is kiss them, but that's not what it used to say. Then spanked them all soundly and sent them to bed. And then there were the three little kittens who lost their mittens and they began to cry. Oh, mother dears, we sadly fear our mittens we have lost. What? Lost your mittens, you naughty kittens? Then you shall have no pie. And it goes on and on. They find the mittens and then they get strokes for that. But it's all about how grown-ups can get so mad there's only one anger response that research has found pays off. And that is, if what we get angry at is cruelty, if a child is hurting another child, an animal, a person, a plant even perhaps, and we come down and say, no, be gentle, and we show them what we mean, that can build empathy and tends to do just that. However, If that's only one no in the course of the day, and there was a no about don't touch this, no about stop moving around, no about eat this and don't eat that, well, then our message about empathy is completely lost. So when it comes to listening, we see another area where we're not on the same page as a two-year-old. And part of that is because of what their ears are doing. We think of our ears as primarily for listening to people and then speaking right back. But that's not the original purpose of the ears at all. They were designed to keep us from falling over. And the little one that was a toddler was tripping and falling all the time. And so the ears get quite busy training that body to have balance and orient in space and move and see at the same time. So, yes, it takes in words. It kind of knows what we're saying. It understands things. But when it comes to trying to say something about it, there's a band of wires that hooks up the production area and the comprehension area for your ear, and it's not wired well yet. So, yeah, they babble and chatter along, but they can't make the words that they want in order to communicate, so they can get quite frustrated. And we can get frustrated, too, because why are they all of a sudden having a tantrum? Because they're tongue-tied, so we have to kind of read what's going on for them. What they're wanting to do instead is a whole lot of movement, and we might wish they'd hold still, but they can't because their ear is driven to establish the movement patterns that finish the motor development for them. So what kind of movement do the ears and the rest of their body require? Their body is building muscle tone and core strength. And learning to strengthen their balance and their sense of direction. It sounds like they're going to Pilates and yoga classes. We're doing that because we didn't lay enough groundwork. But they want to lay it now. So they're going to be driven to jump and spin and roll, put their head upside down. They want you to wheelbarrow walk them where they walk on their hands and you hold their ankles up and they walk around the room. This is great. Their head's down. They're using their muscles. you're wishing you didn't have to spend all the time doing that. They need rhythm as well. In fact, if we really look at rhythm, scientists look at rhythm, it's often seen as the core need for all of life. In fact, it's the sign that there is life. So early on, some babies have to have their heart rhythm trained because it's irregular. And with fearful children, they have to learn how to breathe smoothly. So when we're trying to calm a child... If we breathe smoothly, we train their breath to be smooth. It's another part of rhythm. They can never get in too much rhythm. From music and dance to rocking and soothing to daily routines and sleep patterns and even their digestion. We always have to pay attention to that. So if we look at what they're up to, they're actually on a slow journey from a rather willful behavior where they aren't in charge of themselves at all to willpower. But it's gradual and it needs coaching. In order to coach them, we have to do one more thing. We have to slow way down. And the reason is the brain zone that they're using is a much lower speed than ours. They can't meet us anywhere else. And so when we say hurry up, this breaks our deep connection and they stumble along trying to keep going because here's a grown-up that might get mad. In order for us to be a good coach, we have to learn to downshift our timing. We have to meet them where they operate. And we also have to work with their will style, too, which may not be the same as ours. You might have a child that says, no, me do it from the very beginning. And they want to feed themselves when they can hardly find their mouths. And they want to dress themselves and put the seatbelt on instead of you. And it goes on and on. And if you were the one that wanted to wait until you had it right... This is strange, and it's as if your child's having a tantrum. No, it's just their style. They want to try it until they get it. If you have a child that says, no, you do it, I'll watch until I'm sure I can do it right, well, that's a whole lot easier, but getting them to try may be your challenge. They have to learn to do self-care. Feed themselves, put on their shoes and coat, even work with toys, stacking, connecting, and knocking them down. So when they're trying things, and you can see that this may be at the edge of what they can't quite do, resist helping them and stretch their frustration tolerance. It means you have to slow way down and let them have the time to try. Maybe they'll succeed, in which case they get to feel triumph. Maybe they'll fail, but don't cut in until they may get into deeper despair. You don't want them to feel totally helpless but you would like them to be able to handle failure every now and then too. So next time we're going to take a look at what's up for three-year-olds. It's really very different. And often it's a bit easier for parents to enjoy them at three. But we'll discover some very special needs at that age as well. If you're enjoying these podcasts, I think you'll love my book, Original Mind Uncovering Your Natural Brilliance. It's available on Amazon and at EmbraceYourBrain.com.